This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, episode 44. Hey everyone, welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, and we are proud to present you with part two of our deep dive interview with Olympic champion Alex Kopech, the bobsleigh brakeman, the two-man bobsleigh gold medalist from Pyeongchang. And he will tell us just how important a hundredth of a second can be in life. Before we dive into part two of this interview, just a quick reminder that we want, we need your feedback. So please email me at pd at Empower Conditioning with your thoughts, comments, questions, queries, anything relating to this podcast. And also a quick reminder that June is our 1230 challenge month of junk free, as in junk free June. So take time every single day in June to remove a couple of items from your home, recycle them, throw them out, sell them, get them out, and each week tidy a space in your home, a room, your office, the garage. You will not believe how good it feels. Get to it. Get in the group. The link is in the show notes for the 1230 challenge going on all of 2019. Let's get to Alex. Like the teams that keep winning, oh, they're cheating. Like the Germans have research strength from BMW, literally working on one of their sleds. They have a sport um, uh, from University of uh, goodness, FES. I can't remember what it stands for, but the point is, it's it's dedicated to sports in Germany. So they have a branch that does the kayaks, the rowboats, one that does the bobsled. They had like a budget of like in the ballpark of five million euros to change any element on the sled that Pilot X wanted. Yeah. You, like, you think they don't have a library of information from the 60s? Yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. yeah. They're not guessing anymore. They're just simply yeah. oh, it's trying to get it right, you know? Instead of having to start from scratch every quad. Yeah. You know, why? That's insanity. Yeah. So how do you think that you got, because, you know, you're at this place now where you've achieved the pinnacle of your sport. Yeah. Uh, coach number one, first and foremost. I had so, a man. So, how, who, who was your, yeah, so, so Olaf Hampel, I ended up, he, he was the first coach to respond to me via email with a two week suggestion. I knew nothing about this man. It was a military uh, email address. And, and I'm like, okay, I haven't heard who he is. My one coach uh, supported him, Stefan Bosch. He's like, this is the guy, ignore all the others. Um, and while I was in Germany, he could potentially literally meet with me and we could, we could make this work. So he lived in a, in, a, in a city called Zontofen, and there's a military base there called the, uh, the, the, Hunter, the, the Hunter Division, I guess, the Jaeger. Um, so I had to take a train from school uh, three and a half hours down to the south of Germany, and then on the weekends we'd be at this military base for two sessions a day for, from Friday to Sunday, and then Sunday evening I would take the train back, and then again I'd, I'd, I'd do the whole school thing from 
whenever till till you know like five in the evening then training on my own and then you know it just it was, it was it was a lot of work a lot of work but this guy was so much like me uh, it was it was kind of it was crazy how it started off with super professional it's going to cost you this i'll be this you do these things and then we move on and then he started to see how badly i wanted it then he started to see that that no matter what he put at me i would do it or i would try to do it no matter the pain no matter the and then he started to realize that oh no this guy is completely driven i need to be monitoring how hard i push him and then he started inviting me into his home met his wife his kids i'm at their baptisms and then the next summer they're like alex why don't you live with us they had a free room and then from that day forward it was two sessions a day one-on-one and we, we talked about everything he was he was probably one of the best if not best ever brakeman that, that ever graced that sport he was a black sheep like I was. He did things that were different, that were outside the box. He had studied at the University of Cologne, as I had mentioned. He was he was looking at what people are doing in, in Switzerland for strength training in general, different ideas, uh, this concept of a micro program, the thing that you can work on every day outside of training times. Little things like the foot must be strong. You can't have any any give in the heel when you're sprinting. When you, yeah, those are the things like Kari's yeah. Exhaustive maintenance. That's, that's right. That's right. Formula, that's right. You know, yeah. I mean, it's rotator cuff work or something. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But he would take it down to basics. He would say, like, literally, the basics would be like, um, Alex, we can teach you to run by, by watching video over and over again, watching every foot position, toe angle, everything. Or I can break you down with a hammer and make you run hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meters. And I started realizing that. He had, he, had, he had two things locked down. One, he had used old school, new school. We were using like uh, old Soviet lifting uh, methods as far as tracking the, the progression. Um, things that no one had even really heard of when I you know, come back to Canada and just kind of start chatting about like how to do a strength training program. It was set up in a way that I got stronger every week. But if you just looked at how you're hitting every set you'd say like well it's not really any progression but no truly you start kind of breaking through these ceilings rather you know consistently and then there's like how we worked on the running and then how we worked on the pushing because his sport was bobsled we were accessing tracks in the summertime i was in austria at a push track that's like squirreled away up into the mountain you have to follow this goat path and 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 again it was the austrians had built it uh, for a certain Olympics, so they had a it mirrored, I can't remember which start, probably Eagle's start. And you had to know a guy to know a guy to get there. And Olaf knew all the guys. We're in Sterzing in Italy. We had uh, we, a weekend where we go, there's an old push track there that was built in the 80s or 90s, or no, 80s, mid 80s. And uh, we got to know the hotel manager who was jazzed that a Canadian was in northern Italy using this push track, uh, and Berchtesgarden and Königsee, so towards Munich in Germany. Another push track there, military base through the connections, and I started to get to know a lot of the German athletes, and they were just happy to have me around, just to hang out with, let alone allow me to have a place to train. So by the time I got back to Canada, exactly, exactly, absolutely. So by the time I get back to Canada, I've already had over 200 reps pushing a sled. Mm. And so basically, to give perspective, in any given training session, the Canadians do no more than four pushes a session. So you push in the ice house three sessions a week, maybe two. Yeah. Yeah. I left them all in the dust. Yeah. It was a matter of when, not if. Yeah. I was going to be the best that they had seen. Is that like a crazy tough pill for you know, 
some of your either Canadian peers or coaches to swallow to kind of realize absolutely that, okay, clearly you know we're not getting the job done at yeah home. my first my first summer thank, back with thank Olaf you for representing Canada because we're not getting the job done at home yeah <laughs> first summer back whispers that this guy's doping that's why he's in Germany isn't, isn't that fantastic <laughs> how does that make you feel <laughs> you know I mean there's the there's there's two steps to it there was one where I'm like oh they think I'm that much better but then, there's, <laughs> but then there's the irritation where oh, yeah. they couldn't see. Like every time they were doing lifting sessions, I had a friend of mine, so, so going back to Nick, Nick's like, Alex, I don't think any of these guys could have survived what you did with Olaf. Because he, he, he watched where I came from. He watched how I'd be lifting and be like, Alex, you're lifting again. Like you shouldn't be lifting so much. You're going to burn out. And it's like my coach talked about making this backpack, a backpack big enough so that throughout the season you can just reach back in and grab what you need in like a, like a joking eating capacity yeah. and you've got the energy and capacity to keep yeah. doing the sport because he yeah. wanted me good for every race not for testing camp this everyone's is, peaking oh, for yeah, testing yeah, camp I'd walk in relatively overtrained. I would yeah. wipe the ground with these guys mop it all up and then I'd be ready to kill the first race the second race the third race the fourth race and still in spite of all that I had to perform like there's a gun to my head because they were waiting for for the yeah. chosen one to take the spot and go to the holy grail and get the gold medal yeah I wasn't supposed I, to be the I, guy I can't tell, tell you how many conversations I've had around these athletes so say it's a really long season and a volleyball pro season or yeah. hockey season or whatever this athlete has to be able to get through this whole season Stop treating it like you're going to peak for each game. You're going to yeah. peak for this. You're going to peak for that. The tapering, no, you, the 10-day taper, the 6-day taper, the 3-day taper. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just enough. Just yeah. train yeah. and just... Yeah. You only have, what, two peaks in a year if you're lucky? Why, given, one true peak. Any given athlete in an entire year, you were lucky, and it would be a very specific type of sport if they're ever going to be able to peak three times. Yeah. Most amazing athletes are going to peak twice. Yeah. Like, Usually once or twice, and that is why you're gonna see yeah. you're gonna see the the Olympic qualifiers have the world record. I was just gonna not, say that exactly. You the, see it in track. It's yeah. a perfect example. Exactly. And so just like that, the well, there's there's one peak, gone. <laughs> see you later. So, like yeah, the Olympics from a yeah. performance standpoint yeah. is anticlimactic to worlds yeah. where everyone is peaking to hopefully make the Olympics. Totally. That's the perfect example. And, and in our sport, like the trial is literally the physical testing that we do to pick the team. Now, who ends up actually going to the Olympics has to be determined throughout the season. Canada one generally goes. Canada two generally goes because the big nations are allowed to auto qualify two sleds. If because usually we're we're so ranked high, it's it's fine. Canada three has to fight for it. But that testing dictates what sled you're with, as well as the politicking the summer before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. The summer before, actually the year before, I actually had a really big injury that took me out of the first half of that season. Almost the, the first adductor. three quarters, that's the adductor tear. And, and imagine, like, imagine the relief on some of these other guys that I was off the board. Yeah. Right? So getting back, that was really hard. That was hard on me for a lot of reasons because I felt abandoned, alone, betrayed. Like, you think you develop a lot of friendships and you realize when you're just not there, you're not there. Mm -hmm. Like, you're, you're out. So coming back was hard because you have to fight. You fight against the the, the mythos that you know you're injury prone and and he'll never be as good again. And every time it wasn't like the way that they predicted it was gonna go. It was because you underperformed. You're not good enough. It's like, well, man, when are you guys gonna give me a fucking break here? Yeah. yeah. So um, I sidetracked myself. Okay, so you have the physical testing. Yeah. So because everyone's getting panicked, 
everyone's doing whatever they can to be peaked and primed for physical testing. Train for testing. And we're, that's it. Like I said, gone. Yeah. When peak, out the window, toast. And you're trying to somehow be good enough to then qualify? Oh. This is a culture, and it, it like, goes across sports, that to train for testing, the athlete is programmed to train for testing because they know that they're if they don't show the numbers, that that's going to be oh, the yeah. perfect oh, yeah. excuse for them to be cut. You know? Absolutely. So, like, but, but it doesn't work with the reverse, no. like we said before, and no. that they might have shown good numbers, but then they still don't make it. And you know what's the funniest? So in the sport of bobsleigh, and, and again, maybe you see this in volleyball, I don't know how you guys get compared against individuals. I feel like that's really tough on a team like that. But in bobsled, you have four people, and they do something that they call a push-off. So they'll take, let's say, the pinkies against pointer finger on this hand. Pinky right hand, pointer finger left hand. These are the two athletes you're comparing. Run one, you have a certain set of ice conditions, certain temperature, and everyone's fresh. It's the first run. Mm -hmm. Is then go, okay, we had, uh, let's say, 4.9 seconds with these four guys. Pointers out, pickies in. 4.91, next run. The ice is different. Mm -hmm. These boys aren't as fresh. Maybe they don't like the pinky as much as the pointer. They're comparing apples to oranges. How can you guarantee these guys are going as hard as possible, or as hard as before? You have four people in effectively an eight-variable scenario, and that's not even factoring the weather. And then, guess what? This guy is now off the sled for the next race. And if you're off the sled the next race, you might stay off the sled for the next three races, four races, the rest of the season. Yeah. So when they say this is going to be not a push-off scenario, this is just, let's say, it's like a two-man, right? Two-man day, you have one pilot, one brakeman. And sometimes two brakemen will take the, you know, rep one, rep two on day one. Or both reps, depending on who wants to, right? As soon as someone gets a rep... One guy sees the other guy's having a coffee or pre-workout, and the other's going, oh, shit. This is, like, I need to be as ready as this guy is. Yeah, yeah. On the off chance that, or, or even if no one takes anything, on the off chance the other one might, you see guys are stimming up ready for the first run because I'll be damned if this is the rep that gets me kicked off of the sled four or out of the two-man race or whatever. The guys that are at the top top are the ones that can chill. Yeah. They're not losing their spot on the four, man. May not lose a two man. Sometimes it's important. Sometimes it's not. But there's just there's just certain scenarios where no matter what, you have guys literally trying to give their all, mm -hmm. and you're just running out of bullets. Stress. You're running out of peaks. The cortisol yeah. through the roof, and Stressor. the paranoia, and Anxiety. yeah. And then you're like literally start like, did my other guys like? Oh, if a guy stumbles, and and that wasn't the guy being tested. Well, that's, it doesn't matter. It happened, it happened, the number's your number. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, they have to make a decision, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you're living with each other, day in, day out, for like almost eight months a year. Yeah. Like, it gets crazy. That's the way we've done it. That's the way we've always done it. So that's the way we'll do it. Something my coach brought forward. <laughs> I knew that's a very chance to meet someone like Folker Nolte, who does the uh, coaching for rowing in town. Yeah. Very interesting man. Yeah. But something that he uses, or rowers use, is seating. Yeah. You could take the stress of people trying or not trying or trying to make their teams work and not the other teams work by saying each one of you through each round of competition will keep your score. Mm -hmm. You're the slowest, you get the max points or the least amount of points and, yeah. and so on. And by, by four rounds, you can go, ah, okay, we have the least number of points or most. These four are clearly our best and they shall be the best together because they're all individually by pushing in teams have shown that they're the best individuals. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
but why bother try it, right? Why why would we yeah. bother to do yeah. that? Yeah. People around here will know that. Yeah. But uh, but looking at what works at, across sports to learn, you know, it's like it's like a city looking at another city's infrastructure to see oh, what what how might what might we build yeah. in order to get better. Yeah. How what are they doing? Yeah. How can we do better if yeah. what they're doing really works well? Yeah. yeah. And then ignoring the city planner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So tell us when things really came together then. Well, like officially come together. So oh, I'd say well, the, let's talk about the World Cup season. Yeah, so that right coach. that's right, that's right. Yeah. And tell us about your driver in the World Cup season leading up to Jack. Well, I'd say like at some point, as Lake Placid is where it really kind of really kicked off. Um, I had a massive advantage on the other Canadian athletes on the start. It was like a top three start in Placid, I think the first race, it was a back-to-back two-man race because the snow was so bad, or no, the ice was so weak that the four men would probably get the ice, would shred the ice, and anyways, they were like, we're going to do two two-man races here, and we'll do two four-man races next stop, so the first day, it was like a Saturday, and then the next was a Sunday, where it's a Friday, Saturday, it's usually how they do it, end of the weeks, I'm with Chris, and Chris and I came fourth, and they're like, all right, uh, Crips and, uh, and the other brakeman came, I don't know, Fifth, sixth, something like that. They were, they were, they were, they were behind us. Now imagine if Alex was with the other guy, with Crips, that they would have meddled for sure. Or, or I can't remember. This, you think I'd have all these like absolutely just ingrained in my brain? But the point was, they, they said, Chris, you're done, because Chris and I had had won like all the four man uh, trials against the Canadians against the Canadians, right? And the two men, and and we were just like going to be the team together. And I was like so so jazzed to be with Chris again because it was just like, you know, like we have such a connection, like a friendship developed over the years. So anyways, they put me with Crips and then Crips and I medal. And they're like, okay, point proven, I guess. And it was the same differential, like start time difference, no matter whether that was Chris or with Crips. I was just proven clearly by two back-to-back races that I was the dominant brakeman. And that was it. And that was that was apparently the predetermination that I was going to be the number one brakeman on the team. And Justin's the best pilot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Pilot in Ontario. Um, and he, he had been proving that over the years. Yeah. But they, that was their best investment going into the season, right? And so, so then Chris got less and less opportunities. His four-man team was taken from him and given to Crips. Uh, and then ultimately we built this super crew. And, um, uh, and in four-man, we were, we were like always like a hundredth off the record. Uh, or setting a new one, or or we would just tie it, or it was, it was such a fun and frustrating um, season. But overall, with results in four man, we were sometimes short of the mark, sometimes on the mark. But in two man, Justin and I were always like in like a top three scenario. We were meddling all the time that we were paired together. And I think the biggest breakthrough that really put it down is so again, keep in mind they're trying to they're trying to give each other breaks, right? But when the number one guy, or is he the number one guy? Is against the number two guy? Is he number two or number one? Well, which one do we like better? Well, which one has the experience? Which one has the the legend? You don't know if you're being given the next race a break because they think you're tired. You vocalize you're good. You vocalize that your coach has said you should do these three races, and they go, "Thanks, that's great. Um, let us know if you need anything else." And then they take your plan. Scrap that and then give the other guy the races. Why? 
why wouldn't you start to think, are they just trying to give this guy as many opportunities as possible mm -hmm. to take the spot back? Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. And that's, you know what I mean? If it <laughs> sounds like a duck, quacks like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Looks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So this was, this was something I started to see and I got really frustrated because it didn't matter how many times I had either the fastest start of the race with, with whoever pilot was paired and generally it was with Crips, um, or even top three, it was clearly faster than the other guys. It wasn't even like a question. Um, so Christmas rolls around. And hang on. Yeah. So are the pilots not noticing this? Well, maybe they are, they aren't. It's, uh, you know, there's also the superstition. You know, he's riding high, riding low. Maybe he's jumping in and the sled's going sideways. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's a lot to it. You know what I mean? There's a ton to it. And you have, you have coaches that either have a prejudice already and are influencing the pilots, or the pilots have other alliances and friendships over years of being with each other. Like, how can you fight that with the sheer fact that you have a better result? Just take it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's harder to, to, to come to terms with than not. But in the end, I think it just became obvious and everyone just kind of knew and, and it was accepted eventually. But... Uh, where I finally made it happen. And actually, by the way, Olaf does this thing at the end of every year where he actually compiles like a bit of a stat sheet and he's just like, when Kopach is on the team, there's, you know, X percent improvement on results. Every time you're there, the Canadians have this many better opportunities and stuff. So I thought that was that was really interesting that, that him ding, ding, being ding, proud ding, as a ding, coach ding. where he could yeah. like, because you would be like, oh, you're just saying that because you're my dad kind of thing. You know, like you're supposed to say that. But he would actually like say like, no, here's how I came about this. And here's why we know. Here's why I can say this confidently. So uh, Christmas rolls around. Everyone's trying to go home. We had a race in, I think it was in Eagles. We were in Europe before the Altenburg race. Altenburg was after Christmas. And my coach is like, he likes to plan the whole season well in advance. And he was so frustrated because he's like, we don't know what the Canadians are going to do. We, we, we hope that this is what's happened, but we've been seeing that even though there's a plan, something will change. So we had a hell of a time trying to do the programming for the whole year because he had no idea what races I'd do or wouldn't do. Yeah. So he's periodizing Trying. B, C, yes, yeah. you got it. And yeah. so, so if you compete here, we're doing yeah. this. If you yeah. don't, we're doing this. Yeah, and so yeah. Christmas is coming. And again, I... Coach, well, it, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. That ability to... But it robs no, you of your, your potential, your max potential. Exactly. And that's the biggest frustration for both of us. It was. Yeah, yeah because um, based on what information that you could actually know. I mean, there's situations where uh, you don't qualify for whatever. Yeah, well, for, for uh, us you know. in, in European volleyball, mm -hmm. you've got weekly matches all yep. year. Yep. Then you've got League Cup mm -hmm. matches mm -hmm. where you may be playing, you may go all the way, you may not. Yep. Then you've got European Cup matches where same thing, you may only make it to the first round, you mm -hmm. may go all the way. Yep. And so you're required Absolutely. to have Absolutely. four or five plans based on when, okay. Yeah, and if also, you make the next round or the, yeah. to peaks, deciding, mm -hmm. okay, if we're going to the final of the European Cup, we're going all the chips in to win that, mm -hmm. and we'll try to hang on. Yeah. For the playoffs, yeah. But chances are we're gonna be physically toast, and we're throwing that away. Mm -hmm. That's but whoever's fine. better trained by that. The that's right. That's right. We'll we'll get going the chance. Yeah. 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 So yeah. It's yeah. But that juggling. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I I and, and my, my training partner Joey um uh, I didn't really talk much about him, but he he was a massive uh, help throughout all this. Basically, we had agreed that whatever it was gonna cost, I was gonna stay in Europe over Christmas. Everyone else went home to their family and friends, um, and I had. I had been basically 
completely AWOL, even in the scope of my with my relationship. Um, girlfriend was able to visit me in Germany for like a week period, but it just it's 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 weird. It's it's awkward. It's not free because every minute we're together, I'm like, oh, I don't know, maybe should this, this is good for rest? Is it not good for rest? We're doing a little sightseeing. You know, there's all sorts of little things where, and even on her end, I'm sure it was stressful because it's like. You know, like, am I in his way right now? Am I not in his way? Like, the jet lag, it's only a week. Like, you know, yeah. so there's... But anyways, the time sacrifice was in. The finances, it was... If I'm in a hole, I'm in a hole, and I'm going to keep going. Um, I stayed over Christmas, and I trained hard. I had nine days of training. And the way it'll also look like, like, why would anyone go home for Christmas? Mm-hmm. You lose two days of training <laughs> there and back, at least. Yeah. yeah. That's four days gone out of nine possible, and then you have five days. By the time you get back in the swing of things, you start, stop, travel, start, stop, compete. Yeah. We Most trained you're right through it. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're, yeah. Between yeah. the travel, between yeah. all the other things. Yeah. And then depending on how much time you have at that point, that exponentially changes your, your training outcome because of how much training you've missed. Absolutely. Race happens. Start record. We won the race. Start record hadn't been touched in 14 years. Do you know who has the four-man start record still? My coach and his four-man crew back in the day. Isn't that amazing? So oh at that gosh. track, until it gets broken, me, you got the team him. Up. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. amazing. And that's when I knew that day that I was the best, best brakeman in the world, and everyone else knew it, and I finally proved it to my own team. So, not so thanks it. to Canada. <laughs> yeah, for sure not. So let's get into the excitement now. You've, yeah. You're right there. Yeah. Olympics on the horizon. Yeah. You're performing incredibly. Yeah. So you guys in that World Cup season, you can't get a win. Yeah. Because there's a German pair, and the driver, the pilot's Friedrich. That's right. And just killer. I mean, yeah. And I looked at his results from last. 2018, 2019 season, yeah. he's first almost every single That's race. right. He won overall in two men and overall in four men. That's a feat. Yeah. Like, I mean, amazing. He's be a God. Absolutely. He's one of the best ever, ever. But you guys, yeah. in that part of the season, yeah. won two. Yeah. Won two, won three. That's right. That's right. In the hunt. And you guys actually take yeah. the World Cup title. Then. That's right. Yeah. So. And especially in that last how, race in Koenigsee. Oh, man. Building yeah. up to the Olympics. What was. Well, I mean, like, what it, was your thought? What was your thought process? Were you thinking that? Were you thinking I'm going to be a gold medalist? No, not at all. Like, not at all. What was, I, what was your goal? I was like, I, it would be great to be in the in the podium spot, in any podium spot. It would be great. That was that was my goal, because we've seen the track already by the Olympic season. The year before, they do like a test event, yeah, and and the Germans placed better than we did. You know, like we. We didn't have a podium finish, to my knowledge, the year before, right? And same with four men. And so it's like you're going into a race where you already know that the competition is better there. So I kind of had a relatively tempered view of what was going to happen. I knew we were doing amazingly going up to this. Everyone says that when you get the Olympics, things start to change, right? The the rumor of material doping. I mean, like runners getting treated differently, whatever, whatever. This kind of changes results and stuff. But the reality being, driving a track is driving a track. The ice will be different, you know. There's a lot that changes, uh, and especially going in with the expectation that, I mean, we won the World Cup. Who knows what's going to happen when you get the Olympic Games? Because at the end of the day, it's one race. I mean, it's a two-day event with four runs, four but runs. but it's one race. And in many ways, like it's an outlier as opposed to being best the whole year. Mm-hmm. So 
being my first experience, like I was confident, I was confident as hell that I, I was ready and I was going to find even another gear. Um, and Justin has just been constantly performing time and time again, just cool as ice, always ready to go and just consi- consistent with the runs, right? Which is the, the beauty of a sport like that. It's, it's the one who's consistent that wins because it, it is a sport of attrition. You have... Yeah, you have, you have you have you have heat one, heat two. Whoever I was with with two men, and and I and I love talking about two men because that's where you show off that you are the good athlete, right? The start times would never deviate more than a hundredth from one run one run two, or they'd be identical. Um, and with him, uh, a deviation of up to a tenth is excellent for a pilot because ice conditions change. You know what I mean? Like there's one point five kilometers of track to navigate. Um, so we didn't need the fastest run, fastest start every heat. In many cases, that was exactly what had happened. But a lot of people would lose their composure in between somehow. They'd have a record run and then like a fifth rank run, run two. Mm. Okay, well, you know, it sucks. That's great. Your run one was sweet, but that's the race is over now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, I guess, from the athletic side of it, I didn't even know that I would be paired with Justin at the Olympics. Not until we finished our holding camp in Calgary and we're going to Korea. Because they don't inform you? Like, wouldn't that be the obvious choice? But there, was, there was so much, much rumors and whispering and actually the other guy is going to be with him and you're I'm probably going to be paired with... That. And you have maybe these guys who are potentially going to be two-man athletes. And well, we heard that this this track guy who was on the team knew that maybe he's going to be, you know, doing two-man because they think that it might be a good choice. And it's just like, no one said to my face, Alex, that's you. Not until, not until later in that two-week period, because there was actually a moment. Um, I don't know how many people would actually admit to this. There was a moment where one athlete was actually not supposed to do a two-man race at the Olympics. And in training in the two weeks leading up to the Olympic Games, where we should be like coasting. Yeah, ready. Outperforms Justin and I in an ice house push. And I'm not really trying because I'm just doing technique, focus, go. Outperform us, which then made them question their number three choice. And he got bumped because of that. And that's a situation where everyone was so on edge. How hard do we go? Like, should we, are we competing against each other? Are we not competing against each other? Well, maybe yes, we should on the off us. chance that they are and I'm not. And then, 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 and it, and it started to, it started to kind of break down. We had so many sessions that were planned and then went into the second week, they canceled the couple and the this and the that. And then all of a sudden, bang, we're in Korea. And then at that point, in many ways, like it's a bit of a free for all because like everyone has to manage their own energy system, right? So it's like, it's my first time. Like, what do I think I should do? Well, in many ways, I just end up doing exactly what I've been training to do. But the food, the mm-hmm. cold, how far am I walking per day to get my food or not get my food? What are the training sessions That's like? Different. And even like the day before the two man race or the day before the day off, uh, Justin and I crashed in our last run, mm. or first run and the second run was clean. But the point was, it happened. And we were just like. Well, we just gotta keep going. We crashed right at the end too, so it was kind of like it was like a weird situation. But a moment like that can throw someone's composure off. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't want to end on a bad note like that. Mm-hmm. 
but anyway, like obviously it was what it was. And uh, one thing I guess <laughs> I need to mention for other athletes, throughout this entire season, I was on a tremendous amount of painkillers. I had the savage tendinopathy in both my quad tendons that has it's been there for years, but it just got worse because there was never really time to take it time off because if I'm not present, blah, 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 I lose my spots. My low back was terrible. I had stenosis flare up in my C4, C5. My left arm was useless to me three months of the summer leading into the uh, season. Um, tear by bicep tendon, both sides, tears in my in my lower back. Um, this you is know, the reality of high performance yeah, sport. This is just what's, you're yeah. You're always dealing with injury. Absolutely. It's key that you've said that yeah. because, because everybody's picture, because what they see is so different from the norm oh, yeah. in, in being a high performance athlete. They can't imagine, you know, well, if they move like that or they look like that, they can't imagine that they're in pain or that yep. there's injuries or whatever. And there's, at that level, there are always injuries. Like, Absolutely. You know, you're eating Voltaren for years yeah. and how many surgeries and how oh, many, yeah. you know, like, oh, and, yeah. and I can't, it's every athlete at that level is yeah. in some bizarre level of suffering. Yeah. And, and they've gotten so accustomed to it. If we were a horse, they just put us down. They, they know, <laughs> they know. It's a bizarre level yeah. of su- suffering. And if they, if they've become so accustomed to it that there's no real, there's no real concept of anything different. You know, I, I have to get through mm-hmm. this. I have to get through this. I have to get through this. Well, how do I do that? Yeah. Well, whatever it takes. And that, well, what's legal? Well, I can take these exactly. and these anti-inflammatories. Exactly. And yeah. this is how we're going to patch this up for now yeah. because yeah. there's no stopping and resting at this point. Your yeah. resting is simply enough recovery to get to the next mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's... So just for, for the people listening, I guess, um, I, I was taking about 400 milligrams of Celebrex a day. I had diclofenac 10% cream with like a lidocaine mix with uh, there's a couple other things like DMSO to help draw it deep into the skin. Um, and then I was taking on top of all that six Tylenol arthritis on race days um, just to get me through the race. That's hardcore talk. And there was, uh, <laughs> there was so much, there was so much mental health issues throughout the bobsleigh career and obviously got worse throughout the Olympic season. But leading in the summer leading in, um, I was having panic attacks, like full-on anxiety attacks where like, I felt like I couldn't breathe because the pain was so bad and then the fear of that stopping the whole process yeah. was just absolutely crippling at times. Um, so t- truly when you'd ask me like, what was it that got me through it? It was my coach. Mm-hmm. It was my coach. It was, it was the things he did, the way he had gone through it, the fact that he had injuries, it dogged him, the fact that he was always looking for a way to to help us get through to the next checkpoint you know like we we would drive all over the country for him to meet up with his old friends uh physios osteos uh you know like anything to figure out okay well this is flaring up again why where's it coming from is it a dysfunction from the spine is it you know and just chipping away at things like this and having really good doctors look at scans and being like seeing seeing something that in hindsight is so obvious that I'm not a doctor, but I would, like, some of these are such smoking guns in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He would just go, oh no, I think that's the issue there. And so like with stenosis, for example, people are like, oh, maybe your rotator cuff's pinching nerves, some kind of an inhibition. You have a guy who's who's snatching 140 kilos who can't all of a sudden pick up five pounds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean it's a rotator cuff issue? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and if it's Cortisone shot, cuff- next day, poof, full power. Uh, like that took three months to unravel. Yeah. 
it's stuff like that that's it's, you know it's the right people and and the other thing you're describing with your coach too is though and you can tell me tell me if this is where you're what you're alluding to he was probably one of the only people if not the only person who truly understood what you were going through absolutely so you felt like you had somebody who believed in you mm-hmm. but also had your back absolutely and and that combination is something that if if an athlete doesn't have somebody like that whether it's a coach whether it's a, a partner or a spouse whether it's a teammate but somebody like that they, mm-hmm. there's no way they could survive those those parameters those situations you'd, you'd, you'd buckle much sooner absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely that one person just one person who knows you can yeah and then you somehow find a way because you wouldn't have Absolutely. And you guys will notice uh, on any of the pictures, I have this very particular old-looking bandana, and that was his bandana that he wore, in both the like throughout his competitive years and, and for both gold medals, and he gave it to me as a as a good luck token, and I wore that every race for three years, um, and then of course at the Olympics, without a doubt, I wore it. Um, little things like that, little things like leading up to going to the Olympics, speaking to to myself and of course my training partner Joey. Um, we're like, you've earned my respect, you've put in the work, you can call me any hour, any time, I will pick up the phone, and if you just want to just talk about the food, about the weather, I will answer. Mm-hmm. Things like that, where that shows such a depth of love for the athlete. In, in, and even just throughout the relationship with, with, with myself and Olaf, it was, I never wanted to disappoint him any training session. Like it had nothing to do with, like yeah, sure I had days where I was just mad at myself for not hitting the targets, but the first thing that I would feel was shame that I had disappointed him somehow. He never once did he say he was disappointed. He'd look at me and be like, Alex, there's another day. Mm-hmm. You did enough. You're ahead of your targets from last year. Look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. But I would look at him and be like, but I wanted to show you that I could. I wanted to show you that I could I could outsurpass your expectations of me. That evokes something really really deep. And and, and if I think having an opportunity to coach someone else, how can I recreate that? How can I get the athlete to want or an employee like you name the scenario to to want to not disappoint me, to want to impress me time and time again, like honestly, not from fear, but but out of this childlike need clearly he's a man of integrity absolutely and his word absolutely but also uh, driven by standards and when you first started talking about him you mentioned that he gave you two weeks mm-hmm. and it sounds like it was a test drive somewhat it was yeah here's something if you like it great if you don't you know right. yeah and, and your yeah of right, course and your response mm-hmm. Woke him up a bit. Did not woke him up. No, 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 no. But, but actually, actually, it was his second wind into the sport of bobsleigh. He had cut it out of his life. It inspired him. You inspired him. You showed him something in those two weeks that was good for him and good for you. And that's where it sounds like this really incredible relationship. Symbiotic relationship. But at the same time, it's one of those things, and, and I think you realize how special it was in that 
you may never recreate that in your lifetime. No, it's true because it's you know, it's a rare, rare thing to have happen. And it doesn't always happen with family members. Nope. It doesn't necessarily happen in coaching relationships or employer relationships. But it is one of those things that is so rare that you may not see it again, but to have experienced it and that closeness and that understanding, it's, it's like sometimes finding the best teammate or, you know, if you mm-hmm. think of a partner in certain sports like figure skating or whatever, where mm-hmm. they can read each other, mm-hmm. it's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. So, you know, you, you must have such an appreciation because it certainly didn't come from the normal process that you would have gone through in yeah. bobsled. It came yeah. from you seeking something out and maybe you were meant to find him, who knows? Absolutely. But it's, it's He'll be amazing. visiting in June, so I can't wait to show him around. Yeah. Him and his wife, yeah, it'll be great. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, he'll be yeah all the, the days that they're here. Why not? Absolutely. Yeah. He's a, he's a wonderful man. Um, they're, they're both they're both amazing people. <laughs> it, it, just on a, an unusual question here, just for people, yeah, shoot. people that understand, you out of this whole process, mm-hmm. you know, you you win an Olympic medal you win the Olympics mm-hmm. you're in debt yeah I, I was for sure like there was um, I mean carding alone is, is not enough to cut it and so there really comes a point where like there were minutes where or moments where I had to um, buy a last minute flight to get back for the right time for a certain camp uh, car rentals uh, sparing no spence on, on food and supplements is like a standard necess- like mm-hmm. a necessity uh, um, not compromising on how much physiotherapy I could get or couldn't get um, obviously, to this point, it's a different scenario because then the, the gold medal opens up doors in ways that I never even thought was like a reality. But, but, um, but prior, to prior, prior, it was trying to be comfortable with the stress of, oh my God, how much is this next thing going to cost me? But there's a big likelihood that, yeah. that, that maybe you didn't even... Absolutely, and then you just be high and dry. And then, exactly. For sure, for exactly. sure. Exactly. I mean, for it's, sure. Such, it's such a long shot yeah. to have had the outcome that you've had. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so committed to the process, and yeah, that would be an amazing outcome, but it's such a such a long shot to have that outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. you know, you look at, say you didn't have that outcome, and it wasn't the medal, you're looking at a massive, I don't know, maybe not massive, but an amount of debt. Sure that you know from an outsider looking in they would expect that an athlete that's made it to the olympics Mm -hmm. that they've been taken care of somehow like that's that's the perception from the outside is that they've been taken care of somehow along the way because why wouldn't canada do that especially for a winter sport it's canada right um and i just wanted to draw attention to that so that people understand that it's not it's not all that it seems. And the funniest thing is, the most support I got was actually in Europe. I'd have strangers come up to me, seeing me at the same track, because there was a cap like in Mannheim. There's this uh, TSV. It was it's like a, it's like a like a nationwide training facility thing, right? So like public can use it. Some some athletes use it. And there's a little cafe beside this 100 meter, 120 meter stretch. And some people would see me there regularly and would approach me and say like, "Oh, what do you do?" And then by the next time they see me again, they say like, well, "Do you need anything?" I'd I'd be in town, you know, trying because I, mean, I wasn't very comfortable with asking for help, but tried anyways, and just met with we don't do that kind of thing. Oh, that's not you know like the same answers I had when I was doing university level sport where I could understand why I'm getting no because I'm no one, and to be like no like I legitimately need this for an Olympic goal and and being met with no's 
No, that's their. That's they're allowed to say that. But when you when you see how how different, drastically different support is in places where I'm a stranger to this country, and I have people who don't even know the first thing about me other than my sport, that are just pitching me a hundred euros, or you know, maybe I can buy a meal, or maybe I can pay for a couple of days of your rent, or you know. Yeah. Like. I have a feeling it comes from the perception that every. Every person I talk to... Sorry, just just to be fair, I found a lot of help through therapists. Yes. Chiros, physios, massage therapists, depending on the relationship that we had built. Some of them would just treat for free. Well, Kari, to her detriment, Hmm. financially, has always, always grouped Sport Canada athletes in training groups because Hockey Canada is going to pay $50 for a session. Yeah, yeah. I don't want a strength coach whose rate is they, $50 they, an hour. They, wouldn't, no. they, wouldn't they don't have any much. expertise. Yeah. No, so, no. I mean, and that's the no. best. No. I just referenced that number because yeah. that's Hockey Canada. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. For, no, they know, athletes from other sports, you know, just like you're saying, the service providers yeah. end up believing in the goal, oh, no, no, believing in the athlete and sponsoring and helping. Yeah. In order to, because I knew they I knew they didn't have the money and, and at the same time I wasn't being paid by the sport body so I was yeah. putting in extra time because yeah. I knew how much they needed and, yeah. Yeah. and whatnot. But that's that's what I'm saying comparable to the therapist. Many of them would understand yeah. what the needs were and what was actually being funded. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I was getting to is that ultimately anybody that I talk to who's interested in learning more about the athletes because they look upon them with awe but they don't really understand the behind the scenes stuff. Anytime I would tell them, I said, well, you know, you, you think they're like a NHL hockey player. It's not that at all. You don't understand nope. that they're scra- scratching yep. to get by and they, they don't, they live below the poverty line. And that's just the reality of Canadian sport. And they, they don't get that. And yeah, there's things like on the podium and, and other funding, you know, athletes can and things like that. But it, there's such a buffer between that money and the athlete mm. that the it's not often being directly the athlete doesn't have a steady stream of, of confidence in what they're going to get and it's it's piecemealed out or there's a buffer and it goes to maybe service providers or other people instead of the athlete yep. directly yep. and and you know, I, I don't know what the solution is. Like, I, I hate to be the person who's squeaky wheel complaining about it without offering a solution. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I've done my own versions of solutions from my field of yep. things. However, there are bigger picture solutions. That, well, whether it's modeled after other com- uh, countries, whether it's, you know, supported by a country, uh, and that's communities. where I like, think it is. Well, you know, we, were, we were chatting before we pressed record here, and mm-hmm. Alex, you had mentioned of giving the power back to the athletes. Looking, looking to a model, um, being in Germany as long as I'd been, understanding the way that they support, and it's not even just Germany, a lot of European countries, even the States have a program for something like this. They tuck away a lot of the funding for athletes through the police, emergency services, military. The primary responsibility of the athlete and or the soldier in this scenario is 11 months of the year is dedicated to the sport. One month of the year will be programming to to educate themselves or to further their training or to whatever. Mm-hmm. They're paid wages of military personnel at some appropriate scale. They have on every military base 
an amazing facility to work out at because they've been established for decades because the soldiers benefit from it. And you have you have medical right there. You have food right there. You could sleep in the barracks if you should so choose. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, and that cross culture exposure helps each other to win win. There's almost 800 athletes being supported through such a system in Germany. Mm-hmm. Are they going and killing people overseas? No. A lot of European countries have that as a mandatory um, part of their country where, say, yeah. an 18-year-old has to go and yeah. get military training and yeah. then whether they serve or not mm-hmm. is yeah. dependent on the situation. And not, and not every athlete, even on the German bobsleigh teams, for example, not every athlete is in the military or in the police force or firefighter or some emergency services. Some of them are, let's call it private athletes that are with a track club or whatever and are with them. Mm-hmm. So they have a choice. They could go the army route or they could not. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's such a win-win situation for the nation mm-hmm. because you have, I mean, let me just call it subsidized. It'll still cost what it costs, but a subsidized version for high performance that can be controlled nationally where you have athlete pools of soldiers from all sorts of bases and you have a humanizing aspect from the military to the civilian population. That's connection. They're sport heroes, mm-hmm. as well as national defense, as well as you know your friendly police officer. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, one hand washes the other. You have more draw into these protective jobs, as well as support for athletes in a private capacity where they don't have to fight each other for where the funding is coming from because they're being paid as professionals anyways mm-hmm. now and utilizing infrastructure yeah. that currently exists and for that to be an option would at least alleviate uh, some of the athletes that are being left to the sides that could have been the next champion mm-hmm. because of funds because they didn't jump it's through the hoops thing. that the NSO needed yeah. for them to get the carding that they may or may not were going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Take it. Keep that carding. I got enough to get by. Now I'm going to still train hard, and I'm going to earn a place at the table eventually through my performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it would also eliminate people having to move to different cities to train at facilities. I'm at Military Base X. I got a track. I got a this. I got that. Yeah. 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 Why, why do I need to fly over there, find a place to rent out at a way more expensive rate than in my own city, yeah. with my own support system, you name it. Now some people want to do that, and, and, and there is some benefit to it. I'm not going to say it's a completely wasted opportunity, but like even on our bobsleigh team, a lot of athletes were from Ontario specifically. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's the inconvenience of moving to Calgary. Well, it's not close. You know, to, to, to maybe get the same training quality or worse, yeah. because it's in a scenario that is uncomfortable, foreign, or the same medical stuff. It doesn't matter. It's not your optimal case. Yeah. You're away from your family, friends, your girlfriends, your dog. I don't know, whatever. Like, yeah. And the ones that live in Calgary or are from Calgary, well, it's great. Yeah. You know, benefit. You know, it's good. But, right. yeah. And the keyword you mentioned there is choice. Yeah. That gives the athlete the power to there's back. one way. Yeah. And yeah. So. So. Not to pick apart all the negatives that come along with sport, mm-hmm. but like 
to celebrate what you've experienced. Absolutely. Was, did you, I mean, you... Can you describe for yeah, us? Yeah, tell, tell so us about this. We know that there's, there's, four, there's four races. Yeah. Or sorry, four. Heats, runs. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, four yeah, heats. yeah, yeah. And what position were you in after three? We were in the number one position. It was ours to lose. No shock so nothing no, no nothing but shock when we when we finally won so that means and, you're, uh, one, you're running last in the final that's right we're going last um and uh so while i chat i'll just throw up i have this playlist that i have uh the same songs um you, every yeah, race yeah we read that you have the same playlist for an entire season yeah um do you still listen to it, or do you? Because that, sometimes that's immediately nostalgic. <laughs> takes you right back. That um, primal memory. Uh, definitely, there, there's there's moments where either I'm working out or or whatever. But uh, the one tune that I listened to in between uh, every heat was uh, this one. I'll just skip it ahead a little bit so everyone everyone will know. Beethoven, Seventh Symphony, Second Movement, uh, and then I would kind of throw it down into one of my other favorite metal songs, like right before the run. Um, and the purpose there to... To completely to disassociate myself from the competition, to put myself in a place where I can save every ounce of energy, keep my adrenaline as low as possible. Um, my coach used to sleep in between heats, just check out for 20 30 minutes wake up obviously like carbs in the middle in an optimal state yeah it's just like you have you have to at that point it's like there is it's such a do or die moment where it doesn't matter how much it hurts how much it doesn't hurt we we needed every hundredth literally in that last heat we were a hundredth faster 493 493 493 492 and that's just based on the start time alone and so when a person, when, I, when, I, when I've spoken to, to people about this, um, when you blink, this is about a tenth of a second. That's the duration. One tenth of an eye blink was the difference between that gold medal and a silver medal. It was five hundredths between you and the bronze? Yeah. Like, That's think amazing. what and could you have done to screw that up? You know, you could go crazy. Like, it's such a it's such an insignificantly small margin that over four heats, over like roughly five kilometers of ice, to tie to the to tie to the hundredth of a second. People are like, oh, would you really want to know who really really won? It's like, well, I mean. Yes or no are the two answers. And yeah. if yes, and you're not the one that won, well, that would kind of cripple you. But if no, uh, there's still beauty in the fact that you tied over four heats, five kilometers of ice. And the last time a tie had happened in this sport was 20 years ago between a Canadian team and an Italian team. That is so rare in and of itself that it's to be celebrated. And There's a magic to it. But... And with a team as strong as that German duo... There's honor in tying with a team like that, mm -hmm. yeah. you know. It's respect. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Then you have the World Cup champions 
against the, the favorites. Yeah. And the yeah. And, and what kind of exchange did you have with them? It was extremely, it was brotherly. It was very warm. It was them them welcoming us by cheering in the in the track right and I, you know, we were confused because when you get down and you see the the clock is the first thing you see as you're coming out the outrun um, and it's your final time and then you rank and then the ranks number one so obviously we're just like that's it we won we just won and then seeing them cheering we're like oh they're pretty happy for second place that's strange <laughs> you know we'll take it but that's strange um, no but there's a comment that uh Thorsten said is that uh, you know we're brothers forever you know we we, 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 we want you know as like as, as a group kind of a thing uh, it's just it's such a weird space to be in because you're so exhausted it's midnight the lights the the cheering the the realization it's like you're not really there like stunning you know and then you know, I see my parents are inconsolable, and just just it's just it's it's so much. It's just so much happening at once. And then and then and then we were swamped with like interviews and stuff, and we didn't even get back to bed at three till like three thirty. And even then, like you're still like, oh my god, holy shit, we just fucking won the Olympics. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so hard to. It's an everyday thing. Yeah, it's 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 so strange that after so much effort, so much time, and even in in, in my regards. Four years is, is one quad. That is not a lot of time to go from nothing to, to champion. The way my, my coach looks at it is like, Alex, in a thousand days, this was the project that you completed. And he likes to refer things back to like my engineering roots. And, you know, so if you're ever in an interview, Alex, you can tell them you got a thousand day project, you know. Yeah. But um, that's a great way to look at it, though, because people don't, when you think in terms of quads, jarring as that like yeah. the following month it's just like and yeah. now what nothing and this is the thing yeah. this is the thing that Paul's dealt with and so so many other high performers is that there is nothing that will compare to what you have experienced no there is no. nothing that will compare so how do you find the the zest and the joy and the brightness in life when you've experienced a with help <laughs> and by the time you you reach for it I mean I'm not gonna say it's like oh no, it's too late but if you just started doing it right away the whole process is a little bit quicker and less painless but it takes a person a little while to even realize that like oh maybe I actually need help maybe this isn't normal um, chatting with other people to actually understand how normal it is that's even something that that helps out but it, it, for sure, it's very—it's a very weird moment. Uh, so right after I, I spent about a month in Whistler, because um, girlfriend was finishing up her contract there, and 
there was a, there was a day where I mean we did skiing and skiing gives you a bit of an adrenaline rush. I'd never been at the you know the Whistler Mountains before, so um, we went bungee jumping first time ever, and that was a moment where I realized um, that maybe I have a bit of a problem as far as like the rest of my life. I felt so alive and I was so happy for the rest of that day after that jump. Where it just clicked. The adrenaline it's the adrenaline <laughs> that yeah, I yeah, was craving and missing, and um, and so I mean that is the that's the it's root so of the competition, right? Like yeah. it's the pain, it's the it's the that, that buzz, that fear, that, that that nervousness, that kind of that that it's really hard to describe because the difference between that that ner- that ready nervous and fear is is like. The line is just, blurred. is there a line or is blurred. it the way you look at it? Because <laughs> yeah. like the body sensation is about the same. But it's how you choose to take those steps to, to get past it. That's what kind of really changes. But it doesn't take away the sensation. You just kind of go back into this routine like the way I use the music. It's the same songs, the same process. It's another race. It's another race. Um, but that's, I think, the, the biggest problem of the transition. You go from such an exciting, not only lifestyle, but but experience. And then you're kind of like left to deal with the mundane reality of everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. And then and you feel like you could never like find something day. as exciting again. Until you do in a different capacity. But it takes it takes a little effort on, on the athlete's part to, to rework that. And it made me kind of think, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but I think conceptually it's pretty close when soldiers come back from long tours. You're detached from regular life. You come back from a bobsleigh tour. You've been away from regular society for so long. It's kind of strange dealing with regular people again. People don't understand yeah. what you've experienced yeah. in life. There's, yeah. I mean, it's very hard to find someone who can relate to yeah. what you've experienced. Yeah. And enter in like the more traumatizing events, and of course, the more detached you are from regular civilization. But um, I understand it a lot more than I think I ever could have. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, I can say that you know I'm just like getting getting over it and stuff. Like, yeah, there's 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 a way out, but it doesn't surprise me as much as it would have anymore. What helps you the most? Trying to maintain a schedule mm-hmm. of gotcha. of any of any capacity. I thought I'd just go like completely loosey goosey for a couple months and just do whatever I wanted, and then mm, that's not what I ended up doing after two weeks is I started working at the Whistler Bobsleigh track scraping ice. I applied for a job. <laughs> I didn't know what else to Doesn't do. That feel weird? Yeah. I had to do so something and feel like just relax, just relax. I'm like, I can't. What's next for you? Are you are you retired? Um, are you still still working through the rehab? Um, got some professional opportunities career wise to to really kind of get back into engineering. Um, public speaking, I, I'm going to get as much out of that as I can because any any person that I can affect with the story, then great. You know, it's a benefit. Um, but in general I think I have a fairly open view as to what comes next my priority as far as my body is to try to get back to a relatively pain free state I mean I tried to just train you know just go to the gym body build whatever like there's still too much pain there was too much pain and, and just a series of like back injections now just to kind of pinpoint where's the bulk of my pain coming from it's amazing how much less pain I have after like one round of cortisone. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just like, oh my gosh, like 
it can feel decent. Mm -hmm. I know it'll be a band-aid I'll probably have for the rest of my life, but so be it. As long as I have a way to deal with it, great. Things will change, though. Yeah. The body does amazing things. And yeah. Then, you know, it's been but it's getting out of that chronic state, right? Mm -hmm. And you've had your injuries. It's like there's a bit of a, a loop you get trapped in, and it's almost like something like, like just a little breeze can trigger that chronic loop of pain all over again. Because how is it that I could go through that much pain, squatting as much as I'm squatting, to now trying to just maintain a hundred kilo squat, and still having my back absolutely like seized in pain and my knees killing me and mm -hmm. you know it's like no it's the trauma of the whole situation that needs to get well, dealt with. Think of it if you're gonna unwind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Years and years yeah. and years of damage and stress. And that's what it takes. Literally, it'll I take time and effort. Personally, I've yeah. been out since two. Yeah. And I smile every morning when I squat right down to my knees yeah. on the floor. Yeah. I don't feel a thing. Yeah. Nice. To get the leash on the dog in the morning. In the That's nice. Yeah. And but yeah. it was. Takes time. Going, going oh, yeah. The hell oh, yeah. Never thinking yeah. of even making. Yeah. I'm never going to do that move. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. Her to get something out of the bottom of the fridge. <laughs> you know? But yeah. year after year. And I get that. An yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, like, to, you know, absolutely. The right but even the understanding yeah, would be huge. Yeah. The, the most magical thing is that lifting of the that mental mm -hmm. grind. Yeah. But there's always because there's be always pain. that mental grind of to get mm -hmm. through something. Mm -hmm. You've got to mm -hmm. dig yep. and yep. have that slowly pull away, which it will. I'm sure it'll be liberating and it'll come because like I've, it's like I've lost the luster to work out just for the sake of working out. And it's something that's so helpful when it comes to just that physical output and the mental state to be able to have training as an outlet, but you, when you need to recover and you need to rest and you don't know how to do that, that's a whole other mental battle. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, shall we wrap up here? Is there um, anything you want people to know that's kind of unique to you that maybe most people don't know? Hmm. Well, I guess uh, the last thing people would expect is uh, I love music. I love music to the point of playing piano, violin, trumpet, guitar, and I love nothing more than having jams with my family or just anyone and people just throwing out random songs and having a couple people that are capable of playing as a group and just figuring out a song so that everyone can kind of participate and sing along and stuff like that. I love that. Cool. It's it's yeah. a lot of fun to that. Yeah. And uh playing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I almost find it more fun than competing because it's like it's a pure form of like this creative joy. You're not you're not trying to best someone. You're trying to make the song work with everyone to together, as fast mm -hmm. as and that, and when it works, it's extremely rewarding. Which is yeah. such a good lesson for competitive types. Yeah, you know, yeah. To go into a different realm. You mentioned cheat days. Yep. So obviously you've been a physical specimen your entire life. <laughs> yeah. What does a cheat day consist of? One of the favorites. Well, when I fall off the wagon, yeah, things go wrong. It could be like. Pizza, lots of ice cream, uh, chips, ice cream. like it's it's just this. It's such a hard saltier, space. Saltier, sweet. 
uh, it just depends on the day, you know. Like my 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 <laughs> kryptonite, if because I mentioned chips are these loads of all dressed. The brand brand is called Loads of. Yeah. I could probably just eat a bag on my own and want more. And it's, Where do you get those? Uh, <laughs> Loblaws. What's Loblaws brand? Is that President's Choice? Yeah. 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 So anywhere it's President's like, Choice. Man. Addicting. Yeah. Absolute crack for me. Unbelievable. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny when you have such a hyper discipline. Um, it's almost easier to... Well, maybe just in my case, anyways, to, to, to lose that discipline because it's just like, I'm done trying so hard. Like that's something that kind of creeps in. Yeah, 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 You're yeah. like, you know what? Oh, yeah. What's the what's Screw the difference it. if this Screw week it. I whatever you know? And next week, and next week. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. becomes a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> and then thirty pounds later, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the hell happened? Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I obviously like it has to be like severely kept in check the older you get the less you can get away with things like that but uh so true um you you've obviously created an incredible legacy already and and your story is is so profound and how you've gotten to where you have what would you if you were long gone from now what would you like to have as your legacy well i mean the biggest thing is the ideology behind the phrase sic parvus magna, greatness from small beginnings. Whether you get that idea from video games, movies, or whatever, it's something that's possible in a way that won't, it won't just, just, just reveal itself to you in a way that you want it to. It just kind of, you'll, you'll get an opportunity, you won't know when, you won't know how, and you'll only have a moment to decide. And that decision might literally change it'll obviously change the rest of your life but it might it might shock you how far a decision like that can go i mean another corny line is uh from lord of the rings it's a curious thing walking out your door mr frodo you just might not know where your feet end up taking you i'm sure i'm paraphrasing but uh that that's literally what it comes down to it's not it's not the bravery of i'm going to go win a gold medal mm-hmm. it's too big you can't I'm going to put my career on hold and try this sport. That's intimidating. There's a lot of risk involved, but the definition of how long you try that sport can change. It can be a week, it can turn into a month, it can turn into a year, it can turn into a, I think I can make the Olympics. It can turn into, maybe I can win a medal pretty damn quick. And I think you can apply something like that to... to to anything it could be a job that you always wanted to do but you've been stuck in a nine to five that you're just grinding away at because you have to pay your bills and it pays enough and whatever and, and the one thing that's intimidating is to leave that comfort zone and try something else so is there anything particularly unique in what I've just said I don't think so but maybe if people try to re reevaluate what that bravery means it's not it's not going for this big shocking change it's going for a small change that's sustainable and that encourages you to try more changes I mean from where I was in high school to where I am now I was so black and white this 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 Spartan ideal like now I I'm so adventurous that when I'm not it doesn't feel right mm-hmm. you know the fact that I ended up going to different countries trying to learn different languages meeting different people that was the part that kind of shocked me how not only exciting it was but fulfilling it felt and 
and these are things that I would have never had an opportunity to try had I just played it safe and stayed at home. So it, it sounds like you've transformed, and there's many people who either don't take or discover that opportunity. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I think that's an awesome message to finish on, especially given your comment a couple hours ago about Instagram. Yep. Kids seeing someone in a sport doing yep. something that they can't currently yep. do. Yep. Take that next step. That's the See where it goes. that's the action that they've got to yeah. make and have in their head. And that's where things can change. Absolutely. I'm looking at that perfect image on online of just <laughs> Yeah, well, totally. it's, a, it's a great goal, but you can't make that leap. You've got to make that first step. No. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it takes you. Absolutely. Well, we're so grateful to have you on. Thanks. And, it was a lot of uh, fun. That was yeah. great chatting with you guys. We're, we're excited that you're here in London because we'll be able to see more of you. Yeah. So cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, no, pleasure's mine. Thank you so much for listening. To get more support in living your best life, find us in our free Facebook community, Empowered Top Performers. We're on Instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection. 